Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Down to Earth. The U.S. shoots down a suspected Chinese spy balloon monitoring U.S. military sites. I told them to shoot it down. What specifically was the Chinese government looking for? And how might the incident affect the U.S.-China relationship? The vice chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, Marco Rubio, joins me ahead. And making his case, President Biden gears up to address a divided Congress. The state of the union and the state of our economy is strong. Ahead of an expected 2024 bid, how will he make his pitch? I'll speak to Cabinet Secretary Pete Buttigieg next. Plus, debt dilemma. Biden and Speaker McCarthy plan another meeting as Democrats wait for the GOP to put their cards on the table. Are these the members that could come to a deal and avert financial catastrophe? The bipartisan chairman of the House Problem Solvers Caucus will join me in moments. Hello, I'm Jake Tapper in Washington, where the state of our union is deflated. The U.S. military is recovering the remnants of a 90-foot-long suspected Chinese spy balloon that was shot down just off the South Carolina coast on Saturday after an F-22 Raptors A-9X missile popped the balloon after its week-long mission gathering intelligence over the United States and Canada. Defense Secretary Austin said yesterday that President Biden on Wednesday ordered that the balloon be taken down as soon as safely possible and that to avoid any risk to Americans, the Pentagon waited until the balloon drifted just off U.S. soil to act, underlining the embarrassment of this all for President Biden on the eve of the State of the Union address. A senior administration official acknowledged that the U.S. believes the Chinese government was able to maneuver the balloon and was using it to try and monitor sensitive sites across the country. The Chinese government is responding to the downing of their balloon with, quote, strong dissatisfaction and protest, unquote, accusing the U.S. of (coughs) overreacting to what they claim was a civilian aircraft that veered off course by accident and warning they reserve the right to, quote, make further necessary reaction, unquote. But the Pentagon said a similar spy balloon had been spotted flying over Latin America. This incident prompted Secretary of State Antony Blinken to cancel a long-planned visit to China this weekend, unraveling months of cautious outreach and pushing the two nations closer towards a collision. And joining me now is the Secretary of the Department of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg. Mr. Secretary, good to see you. Thanks so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Glad to be with you. So the, the, this suspected Chinese spy balloon entered U.S. airspace eight days ago, two Saturdays ago in Alaska. Once it became clear that this was not an accident, why did the U.S. not shoot it down then? Well, again, the president gave instructions to have it uh, handled, to have it shot down in a way that was safe. Uh, As you may have seen, there's reporting now that the debris field that was created by this balloon when it was shot down was about seven miles long. And so anytime the military is considering an operation like that, they have to consider the safety of the American people. Uh, The president called for this to be dealt with in a way that 
balanced all of the different risks. That's exactly what happened. Military did a terrific job. From our perspective in, in the DOT, of course, our main concern is the safety of the national airspace. This thing was above uh, uh, where flight operations happen, and so any debris would have passed through that national airspace. But the FAA works very closely with the Pentagon. In this case, had to do ground stops on those airports on the eastern seaboard, close off some of the airspace to make sure that everything was uh, safe and secure during the operation. And as you know, the operation took place without any damage or injury to uh, any American uh, lives or or property. Obviously, that's great that there were no Americans hurt by this. um, But is it acceptable that there were eight days that the spy satellite, the spy balloon was over the United States, then Canada, then again over the United States from Idaho, Montana, all the way through to the Carolinas for day after day? Well, as the U.S. has communicated, it's not acceptable at all that uh, China sent this uh, object into our airspace. But in terms of how to handle it, that's something that was done based on assessment of the risks, making sure that uh, uh, there was uh, no uh, uh, risk that outweighed uh, the risks in terms of uh, any damage that would come. And it was uh, handled appropriately. So you say there was a, a seven-mile uh, debris field uh, over the Atlantic Ocean where it was shot down. Can you tell us what, if anything, has been able to be recovered? Obviously, there's a lot of interest in in getting the material, getting the debris and, and you know, being able to conduct intelligence operations of our own, of the United States' own, against uh, the Chinese uh, for this uh, balloon? I really can't, and anything on the tactics and the timing and and the manner of it uh, ultimately, of course, comes to the Pentagon. I'm just glad that uh, there was no damage or threat to uh, U.S. aviation operations and uh, that this operation took place, was done uh, in a very effective, excellent way, as you would expect from the American military without uh, any consequences for Americans on the ground. So obviously there are a lot of concerns being expressed by senators and governors. The balloon might have flown uh, and gathered intelligence over sensitive parts of the United States infrastructure. There's Malmstrom Air Force Base and nuclear ballistic missile fields in Montana, if you look at the map there. Uh, Whiteman Air Force Base in Missouri. Scott Air Force Base in Illinois. Fort Bragg and Camp Lejeune in North Carolina. Is the assumption that the balloon was able to gather sensitive information and and transmit it back to the Chinese government? Well, uh, the U.S. has stated that steps were taken to prevent uh, any problems in terms of intelligence collection. Remember, uh, we are talking about a country that has a space program. So uh, I don't know all the ins and outs of uh, what this balloon was doing or what its capabilities were. I do know that when the president gave the order to have this handled, the military gauged the different risks and the different uh, benefits of of different approaches, made the decisions that they did, brought this thing down without incident. Right, but the presumption has got to be that the Chinese were able to gather intelligence hovering over the United States for day after day, especially over some of these sensitive sites. I'm sure there's a similar presumption about what spy satellites do. Uh, That is well outside of my lane. I'm just glad that nobody was hurt as this thing came down. When did the Biden administration first learn about this balloon, this spy balloon entering uh, U.S. airspace? Uh, We're told it first did so, it first entered U.S. airspace over Alaska two Saturdays ago. Is that when the Biden administration learned about it? I really can't speak to that. What I can speak to is the great cooperation we have between the FAA and the Pentagon to make sure that when you have a special military operation like what it took to bring down this balloon, that it happens without any threat to American lives or property. Uh, Lastly, on this topic, um, will there be consequences beyond shooting it down? Will the Chinese government be 
sanctions or, or sanctioned or penalized in any way? Well, the, the U.S. has made clear this is an unacceptable intrusion into American sovereignty, and I think uh, you can expect that, uh, uh, that any further developments will be in appropriate in response to what happened. So President Biden uh, is going to be delivering the State of the Union address on Tuesday. He's going to have a new person sitting behind him, uh, the new Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Anything President Biden wants to get done over the next two years, other than executive actions, uh, will have to go through Kevin McCarthy. Um, should we expect the president to lay out a long list of things that are never going to happen under uh, a House Republican uh, leadership? Or is it going to be about ways and places where Republicans and Democrats can work together, areas where there are, there are common interests? Well, I'm really looking forward to the State of the Union because, first of all, there are so many accomplishments to talk about. And Many of those accomplishments happened on a bipartisan basis. You remember, there was a lot of almost snickering uh, when the president took office saying that it would be possible to deliver historic infrastructure legislation, historic economic legislation, and do it on a bipartisan basis. But that's what happened. And so I think the hand continues to be outstretched to anyone, including anyone across the aisle, who's prepared to work with us to get things done. But let's talk about what we have to show for that, even just in the two years that the administration's been here. We just saw the latest round of job numbers that came out. Record low unemployment, lowest we've had in more than 50 years. And usually, when unemployment is that low, inflation is going up. Right now, inflation is going down along with unemployment. We're talking about the most jobs created under any president in this period. Matter of fact, president creating more jobs in two years than you have seen typically in four and coupled with things that Republicans often say that uh, is very important to them, like deficit reduction, historic reduction of the deficit to the tune of $1.7 trillion under this president. You look at what's been done in two years, and I think the president's going to be going into this State of the Union speech with a context of extraordinary historic accomplishment. Mm-hmm. And with that, I think, is a wind at our back, even with uh, a House that is now uh, of course, in, in the hands of the opposite party, to say, okay, what else can we get done for the benefit of the American people, first and foremost, to keep this extraordinary economic growth going, and then to deal with other priorities that matter to people, whether they are in red, blue, or, or, or purple areas. So um, just a few days ago, the chief of staff, Ron Klain, uh, left the White House, and in, in his uh, farewell remarks, he referred to President Biden running for re-election in 2024. Um, He'll be 81 on Election Day in 2024. Uh, Republicans such as Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley uh, are already seeming to make a generational argument, uh, whether that's aimed at Biden or Trump. It doesn't really matter. They're both uh, in advanced years. Uh, You made a similar generational argument when you were running uh, against uh, Joe Biden for president yourself. Are you worried that it could work in 2024? Generational arguments can be powerful. As you said, I've, I've used them myself. The most powerful argument of all is results. And you can't argue, at least I would say, you can't argue with a straight face, uh, that it isn't a good thing that we have had 12 million jobs created under this president. And by the way, uh, a lot of the jobs are in manufacturing. As as somebody who grew up in the industrial Midwest, uh, it's been so moving to see hundreds of thousands of good-paying manufacturing jobs being created, including in rural areas, small towns and places like uh, Tennessee and and Louisiana and Georgia and Indiana, uh, the kind of growth that benefits the entire American people. And I think when you look at that, when you look at what America was up against when President Biden took office 
and what has been delivered. Again, just in these first two years of this administration, let alone what's possible as we actually start entering more and more, for example, of the construction phase on the infrastructure law. Mm -hmm. I think those results are going to continue to accumulate. People will uh, toss whatever argument they can into the mix that they think is going to benefit them the most. But at the end of the day, you can't argue with the extraordinary accomplishments, more than almost any other modern president that that President Biden has achieved, again, under the toughest of circumstances. Speaking of the industrial Midwest, uh, you recently moved from uh, a Republican-leaning industrial Midwest state, Indiana, to a Democratic-leaning industrial Midwest state, uh, Michigan. Uh, Senator Debbie Stabenow announced that she is not going to be running for uh, re-election. You and your husband and two kids have residence in Michigan. Are you going to be seeking that Senate seat? No, uh, but I uh, really... No, you're not. Period. No, I'm planning to vote in, in that election as a, a resident of, of Michigan. But uh, look, the, the job that I have is, first of all, I think the best job in the federal government. It can be uh, really tough and demanding with all of the problems that, that the transportation system has confronted, uh, but also incredibly rewarding. And I'm proud to be part of an administration that is doing more on transportation than has happened in my lifetime and then some. Not since the Eisenhower administration. Have we had this much going on in terms of fixing roads and bridges in this country? Not since Amtrak was created have we done more to improve rail service in this country. This job is taking 110% of my time, and obviously I serve at the pleasure of the president, but as long as he is willing to have me continue doing this work, I am proud to be part of this team. All right, Secretary Pete Buttigieg, thanks for being here this morning. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Republicans were sharply critical of Biden's initial response to the Chinese balloon. Has that changed at all? Senator Marco Rubio is next. And could they be the key to averting a financial crisis? The Republican and Democrat who head up the House Problem Solvers Caucus. They're coming up. Stay with us. Welcome back to State of the Union. I'm Jake Tapper. Many Republicans reacted with outrage after President Biden waited for the suspected Chinese spy balloon to leave the continental United States before shooting it down for safety reasons, they said, at the Pentagon's guidance. Joining us now is the vice chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee, uh, Republican Senator Marco Rubio of Florida. Senator, thanks so much uh, for joining us. So you have said that President Biden should have shot the balloon down earlier. The defense secretary, Lloyd Austin, said, quote, after careful analysis, U.S. military commanders had determined that downing the balloon while over land posed an undue risk to people across a wide area due to the size and altitude of the balloon and its surveillance payload. Uh, And as you heard, Secretary Buttigieg uh, just a few minutes ago said that the debris field uh, after the balloon was shot down was about seven miles long. Should President Biden have ordered that it be shot down anyway, regardless of that risk? No, not regardless of the risk. First of all, they they can track these things. I would hope you can track a slow-moving balloon that clearly is headed here, uh, as you can see from its trajectory. I think that's one of the things we'll learn this week is how soon, how late into January did they already know that there's this high altitude balloon and what its trajectory was and where it was headed and why didn't they take action at that time? That's number one. I think the other thing that we need to know about it and understand is why did it take so long for them to disclose this to the American public? I don't think the trajectory of where this balloon was going was a mystery. I think pretty early on, they probably, because of the prevailing winds, because of the direction that it was headed, I think it was pretty clear that this thing was going to enter the Northwest in Montana, in Idaho, move its way down the Midwest and exit the, the Eastern seaboard just off the Carolinas. I mean, that's an unprecedented flight path. 
And, 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 I, and why did it wait till Wednesday to notify or Thursday to talk about it to the American people, knowing people were going to be seeing this thing? Uh, as uh, vice chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee, do you know, um, has the U.S. recovered any parts of the Chinese spy balloon? Has the, and did the monitoring of the balloon during its journey, as far as you know, yield any worthwhile information for the U.S.? Well, we won't know that until we get into a secure setting this week in Washington. And uh, probably most of that is something we won't be able to disclose in any great detail other than to say this. And that is that, you know, they're going to try to recover this. Apparently it's in shallow waters. We'll see what they recover from it. But I don't think the technology or the existence of these things is a great mystery. I think what's embedded here is a clear message. It's not a coincidence that this happens leading up to the State of the Union address, leading up to Blinken's visit to China. The Chinese knew that this was going to be spotted. They knew that we were going to have to react to it. They flew it over military installations and sensitive sites across, right across the middle. I mean, look at the flight path of this thing. It's a diagonal shot right through the middle of the continental United States. And the message embedded in this to the world is we can fly a balloon over airspace of the United States of America, and they won't be able to do anything about it to stop us. They calculated this carefully with a message embedded in it. And I think that's the part we can't forget here. It's not just the balloon. It's the message they're trying to send the world that Amer- we can do whatever we want and America can't stop us. What information do you think the spy balloon might have gleaned as it, as it traveled? Uh, I know it was over the, the fears that it was over some U.S. military installations. I'm also wondering if uh, infrastructure was probably part of the surveillance uh, task it had. Well, again, it would be speculation other than to tell you that those things usually at that altitude and what they're doing is probably trying to collect on signals, on electronic information that's transiting that they can pick up on. There are various other means that they can do that as well. And that's why I go back to the whole point of the message. There are probably other ways that China could acquire whatever they acquired using this balloon. I may be wrong. There may be some unique attributes to it that I'm, that I'm not aware of yet, but we'll learn more about this week. But I think more than anything else, beyond just the ability to collect information, it is the, the, the ability to send a, a clear message, and that is that we have the ability to do this, and America can't do anything about it. If they're not going to be able to stop a balloon from flying over U.S. airspace, how is America going to come to your aid if we invade Taiwan or take land from India or take islands from the Philippines and Japan? And, and I think the fact that they would do that leading up to State of the Union, leading up to what was then Blinken's scheduled visit, none of that is a coincidence. And we need to understand clearly there was messaging behind this. But you, so you think that, first of all, uh, I guess there are two parts to a question I have following up on that. One is the Pentagon says that they know of the Chinese doing this at least four other times previously, once at the beginning of the Biden administration, three times during the Trump administration. It seems to be you're saying, oh, you're saying no, that's not true. But in any case, is, is, the, is the, no, I know the what difference? I'm saying. Okay, well, the difference is this. Are we aware? Have we seen the Chinese fly these balloons in the past? Yes. I think there's even Twitter pictures of it flying at one point uh, off the coast of the U.S. Uh, down south somewhere. The, the, the existence of the balloons is not a mystery to people in, in, the, in, in that field. What, what we've never seen, what is unprecedented, and whoever the source was at the Department of Defense would have to acknowledge this, what is unprecedented is a balloon flight that entered over Idaho and, and flew over Montana, over all these sensitive military installations, Air Force bases, ICBM fields, right across the middle of the country. That has never happened before. That is unprecedented. That, that it flew briefly over some part of the U.S. or continental U.S., that's one thing. But what we saw this week, it's unprecedented. And it, that's why everyone's reacting the way they're reacting. We've never seen this. So th- this is no comparison to anything that may have happened up to this point. Your colleague and friend, uh, Republican Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina, accused President Biden of, quote, dereliction of duty uh, by allowing the Chinese spy balloon to fly across 
the U.S. That's a pretty strong accusation. Do you agree with that? Well, I think the dereliction of duty begins with this. Why not on Tuesday or Wednesday? You know people are going to see this. At some point, you're going to have to disclose it. And they probably didn't want to because they didn't want to have their hand forced on canceling this uh, Blinken visit. And, and so they didn't uh, so they didn't want to have to talk about it. But why didn't the president go on television? He has the ability to convene the country in cameras and basically explain what we're dealing with here and why he's made the decisions he's making and what they intend to do. I don't understand. Once they get went public with it, knowing the amount of interest this was going to generate, presidents have the ability to go before camera, go before the nation and basically explain these things early on. And, and his failure to do so is I don't understand that. I don't understand why he wouldn't do that. And, and that is the beginning of dereliction of duty. And the second is we have to act swiftly on these things. I think that's part of the, one of the things the Chinese are trying to message. And that is the U.S. had to see this coming and decided they couldn't or wouldn't do anything about it early on. And now had to wait until this thing went across the middle of the country. And, um, and, and what are we going to do the next time this happens? Are we going to allow it to fly through here again uh, and, and, and shoot it down once again to the East Coast? I mean, these are questions the White House needs to answer and I don't think these are partisan uh, claims I'm making. I think there would be a, a broad agreement that we need to know moving forward what our policy is going to be with regards to this. So as you noted, Secretary Blinken did cancel his trip to China uh, after it was disclosed that this balloon was, was flying over the U.S. W- what additional consequences should there be for the Chinese government now? Well, I think the first consequence has to be we have to decide what are we going to do the next time one of these things heads this way? Because I don't think it'll be the last time. I think you'll see it again. Beyond consequences, I'm not sure there should be a direct individual consequence. I think the broader relationship between the U.S. and China, to anyone who has any doubts about it, now the bottom line is here. And that is, we are now, a, China has been for some time and will be the primary strategic adversary of the United States. And we should be focused on it because what they're trying to do is create a world in which they are the most powerful nation and the United States is a great power in decline. That, that, is the, that is what they believe to be the case. That is what they are working on. And we have to determine whether we're going to allow the world to head in that direction or not. And then there's all sorts of things we need to do, from how we're postured militarily in the Indo-Pacific, all the way to what kind of companies do we allow to operate in the United States and spy on us because we've invited them in, because they're in our infrastructure, in our telecommunications infrastructure, because they're buying land, because they're buying farmland, because they're, because they're wiping out key industrial capabilities of this country. Uh, There's all kinds of things that need to be discussed when it comes to China, because this is the issue of the 21st century. The Chinese government uh, says now that the U.S. has shot down uh, that balloon, they reserve the right to use whatever means they want to deal with any any similar situation. There's even talk in the Global Times, which is basically a Chinese mouthpiece, that that shooting down what they say is a civilian balloon uh, sets a dangerous precedent and they might shoot down um, U.S. civilian balloons. apparatuses. What, what do you make of that? Are you, are you fearful at all of, of uh, this escalating? <laughs> Listen, if we were to fly anything over China, they're going to shoot it down. They're going to shoot it down and, and they're going to hold a, and they're going to take pictures of it and they're going to go uh, bonkers about it. So I don't know what statement they're making. You can't, you can't fly anything over China now anyways. I mean, if, if we were to do that, if we were to fly a balloon over China, if the Goodyear blimp flew over China, they'd shoot it down. So uh, the, it's a, it's a, it's what they do over there. It's, it's silly talk. Bottom line is, I think that's, that's, what we, that's what we should expect anyways. All right. The vice chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee, Senator Marco Rubio of Florida. Thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate it, sir. Thank you. Their whole mission is to solve problems in a bipartisan way. Can they make it work in a very divided Washington? That's next. 
Welcome back to State of the Union. I'm Jake Tapper. President Biden and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy both had positive things to say after an initial meeting on the debt ceiling, but they are not negotiating yet while the White House pushes Republicans to go on the record about what exactly they want to cut in terms of spending. On Capitol Hill, many believe my next two guests could be key to striking any deal having to do with the debt ceiling. Joining us now, Democrat Josh Gottheimer of New Jersey and Republican Congressman Brian Fitzpatrick of Pennsylvania. They are the heads of the Bipartisan Problem Solvers Caucus. Thanks to both of you for being here. Congressman Gottheimer, let let me start with you, because you've said both sides need to have constructive conversations about America's long-term fiscal health. What what does that mean exactly? Are you saying that Democrats should need to accept some spending cuts in order to avoid a default? And and if so, what cuts are, are you willing to support? I mean, I think it's irresponsible not to have the conversation, just like it's irresponsible to default on, uh, on our responsibilities as a country and put the full faith and credit of the United <clears> States at <throat> risk, which is exactly why Brian and I and the Problem Solvers Caucus are working on this. Uh, we understand that we have to have a conversation about the long-term economic and fiscal health of the country uh, and make sure we raise the debt ceiling. So, you know, obviously we're not going to have the debate and, uh, and the negotiation here. Uh, but I'll tell you, Jake, we're, we're hard at work on it. We've got a task force on it, and we believe we've got to actually take action because putting people's 401Ks and, and the full faith and credit of the United States and our standing in the world at risk is unacceptable. Congressman Fitzpatrick, a, a, a major hurdle in this debate is that Republicans uh, in the House cannot even seem to agree amongst yourselves on what you want. What, what specific spending cuts would you like to see as part of any debt ceiling deal? Thanks for having us, Jake. Uh, What I would like to do, and this is my proposal, we'll see where we ultimately land with our bipartisan group that Josh uh, referenced. Uh, I'd like to go right at the 1917 debt ceiling law itself that established the debt ceiling. Uh, Rather than have a numerical dollar amount, which doesn't make any sense, we just end up raising it every other year, is is converted to something like a debt to GDP ratio, uh, a number that could be agreed to, have a cure period thereafter, and if that cure does not occur, uh, certain guardrails go up on discretionary spending. We have two problems right now, Jake. We have a risk of default. We cannot allow our country to default under any circumstances. We also have uh, a debt-to-GDP ratio that exceeds 100%. That's occurred two times in our nation's history, World War II and now. And that uh, threatens the valuation of our currency um, and risks our competitiveness with China. And we see how big of a threat that is. So that's the solution that I would like to advance. Uh, As Josh mentioned, we have a group that's working uh, day and night on this right now. It reminds me a lot, Josh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Jake, of the infrastructure negotiations. We worked in the background. Uh, we let the, the White House work with uh, our Senate counterparts. It ended up not working out. Our solution ended up what, be, uh, what uh, was signed into law. So uh, we're doing that same work in the background now. And Congressman Gottheimer, uh, President Biden and Speaker McCarthy met at the White House for more than an hour uh, over the last week. Uh, they agreed to keep talking. If their negotiations <laughs> fall through... Is that what you are doing, working on a plan B that actually will become law, as Congressman Fitzpatrick just suggested? Yeah, I mean, our hope, of course, is that leadership and the White House are able to work something out. Obviously, you saw Social Security and Medicare taken off the table this week. Uh, There's progress and there's hopefully progress in all discussions going forward. But we have to keep keep working because the worst thing that could happen is we get to a point this summer we're suddenly, uh, we, we can't raise the debt ceiling and, and the full faith and credit of the United <coughs> States at risk. We don't pay our debts. That's unacceptable. You cannot pay your bills. Uh, so that's why Brian and I and the Problem Solvers Caucus are at work at that. Hopefully coming up 
with a solution that's a, that's a backup plan or one that the White House turns around and the leadership turns around and says, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's go with that one. But as, as Brian said, this is exactly what happened in the infrastructure package. We worked the last Congress with just a four-seat majority um, to get so much done, whether you're talking about uh, everything from gun safety to st build, building chips in the United States to helping our veterans and supporting law enforcement, all of that done in a bipartisan <clears throat> way. We believe we should keep talking and, and make sure we try to make progress here. And Congressman Fitzpatrick, uh, the point that Congressman Gottheimer just made is, is a cogent one because the, the, the margin is so tight in the House. Speaker McCarthy can only afford to lose four Republicans on any one vote. We've seen the Freedom Caucus and the MAGA Caucus and, and others, you know, <clears throat> forcing McCarthy's hand on any number of issues, uh, taking advantage of that. There are more than a dozen Republicans in the Problem Solvers Caucus. Is your group willing to to take a lesson from the Freedom Caucus, flex your muscles, play hardball, band together, withhold your votes in order to get what you want? Yeah, we're going to do whatever's in the best interest of our country, Jake. Um, if you look at what happened with infrastructure, uh, it was the squad that had defected on that vote. Uh, myself and 12 of my colleagues, Republican colleagues, ended up putting that bill over the finish line. Uh, those weren't just extra padding votes, they were outcome determinative votes. Of course we're prepared to do it. It's, it's, it's this precise structure of government, Jake, that our, our Problem Solvers Caucus lives for. This is the reason we exist, for tight margins and divided chambers to make sure that instead of gridlock, we actually come to the center and build consensus solutions, two-party solutions. So you're, what we believe in. you're willing to, to break with Republican leadership if need be and work with Democrats to, to raise the debt ceiling, for example, <clears throat> if it's the only option to prevent a default? Well, we can't have a clean uh, debt ceiling uh, increase, uh, Jake. We're going to let the speaker and the, pre and the president, by the way, they had a great meeting from, from all measures. Uh, both were very complimentary, not just right after the meeting, but the next day I was uh, at an event with both of them. So we're going to let them do their work. We don't want to undermine anybody, uh, but what Josh and our group uh, do together uh, is we don't negotiate in public. We work everything out. We have a, a fail-safe option um, uh, in the backdrop that will be ready to go to make sure that we get this job done. And Congressman Gottheimer, President Biden's State of the Union address this week is, is likely going to double as a re-election pitch. Um, he'll be 86 years old by the end of his second term, should he get one. Do you have any reservations about Biden being the Democratic Party's nominee in 2024? No. And I think this week what you're going to see, uh, and, and I'm looking forward to it, you know, I, I uh, in my old life was a speechwriter, so I'm, I'm anxious for all those speechwriters right now. But what's really important is laying out agenda for our country and for, for, these, for the next year. And uh, as Brian said, fixing uh, the debt ceiling is a key part of this, but also working together and showing that we can come together, even in a narrowly divided gov government like we're facing now. Uh, we showed how much we can get done. We have a lot to get done from opioids to mental health issues to immigration uh, to more affordability for the country. So I'm hopeful what we see, and Brian and I will be sitting together, what we see is uh, a strong speech for the country country first here. And Congressman Fitzpatrick, <clears throat> I know you're a fan of um, the superior football team, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, when it comes to the Super Bowl. <laughs> Was there any difficulty working with a Giants fan, uh, Congressman Gottheimer, um, during that period where the Eagles so ignominiously stomped the Giants? Did that create any tension? Jake, it was a fun game to watch, wasn't it? Uh, but Joshua was a good sport, as he, as he is about a lot of things that I, that I uh, one-up him on. Uh, this was no different. So, Josh, we still love you, bud. <laughs> all right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. And go Birds. I think I speak for all three of us when I say go yeah. Birds. Thanks, thanks Fitz. The, the president might be calling for a rewrite on the China section of his State of the Union address. We'll get into it with my panel. That's next.
Welcome back to State of the Union. I'm here joined by my august panel and Congresswoman Jayapal. Let me start with you. Um, what is your reaction to this Chinese uh, spy balloon uh, scandal, controversy, whatever you want to call it? And do you agree with your, con- uh, your uh, colleague, Congressman Adam Smith, that President Biden ultimately handled it all correctly? Uh, Jake, it's great to see you. And yes, I do agree with Representative Smith. I mean, I think the thing here was the president prioritized the safety of the American people. That that was his number one priority. It should have been. But also the way in which the balloon was taken down allows us to retrieve uh, the parts of the balloon to see what was actually in there. And I think that's also a really good thing. So I think he handled it well. Um, this is not the first time this has happened. It happened three times under Donald Trump. Nobody ever talked about it. In fact, I saw that Defense Secretary, former Defense Secretary Mike Espy said he didn't even know about it. Esper. Remember Esper. It. Esper, excuse me, uh, said that he didn't even know about it, didn't remember it. So I think this is the, the president handled it the right way. I think you're thinking of Congressman Esper. I was. <laughs> you got house on the brain. I got house You on heard my uh, brain. the vice chair of, uh, uh, of the Senate Intelligence Committee, Marco Rubio, earlier on the show, basically um, saying he, did, he has a lot of questions. And one of them is, why did it take so long for President Biden to disclose this to the American people? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think we got to separate some things out. First of all, I know we're stuck calling it a balloon. It's a drone. It's a spy drone, right? It just has a different motion mode of transport. Um, and second, the military significance, the intelligence significance of this really wasn't that big. But the diplomatic and political significance of it was. And I think it's perfectly fair to ask these kinds of questions. I mean, this thing, I, I've been to Alaska many times. It flew over the heart of Alaska. There's a lot of unpopulated places you could have shot it down then. And this is like what always happens when you catch a spy. Everyone knows we spy on China and China spies on us. But when you catch them, it's embarrassing. It's a diplomatic and political thing that you have to deal with. And I think there's just a lot of unanswered questions still. Do you think this overshadows President Biden at the State of the Union? No, not at all, particularly given that they've shot it down. And actually, if anything, just sort of watching the conspiracy theory mania crank itself up on the right wing... I was reminded, this is why we voted for Joe Biden, because imagine if this had happened under Donald Trump, it would be more hysteria. And it is. He was a grown up. He did. He made a decision about what was right for the American people to keep people safe, the ability to capture what was left and to try to learn what we can from it. You're shaking your head. So, so look, I think it's a pol- I, I agree. Look, on, on the military significance, intelligence significance, probably nil on the political geopolitical stage. A little bit embarrassing. We had a you know, a three-story giant middle finger floating across America in courtesy of the Chinese government, right? And I think that's what really, really, what's, it's, Americans take umbrage at, right? The notion that the Chinese can come, come here and just say, kind of F you, we're going to do this, and you can do nothing, right? And, and I think if the president would have come out early on and had a press conference, like Senator Rubio had said, and said, listen, here's what we know. We've shut off. We've jammed this. They're not collecting anything. We're going to shoot this down when it's safe. Just done a much better job messaging it. On the messaging part, I think America would have been much better off. I think they blew it on that. So I don't know if President Biden's going to bring this up in the State of the Union. Probably not, if I had to take a (laughs) guess. But one thing I'm sure he will bring up uh, is the latest jobs numbers. Take a listen to the president uh, on Friday uh, talking about the latest from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Next week, I'll be reporting on the State of the Union. But today, today I'm happy to report that the State of the Union and the state of our economy is strong. We learned this morning that the economy has created 517,000 jobs just last month. 
I'm sure he prefers Brian D standing behind him than Kevin McCarthy on Tuesday night. Uh, do you think that President Biden's in a strong place uh, or are there enough questions about his leadership that that he's not? I think he is in a really strong place. And look, I think at State of the Union, he should be a relentless salesman for what we have achieved over the last two years. The economy adding 517,000 jobs and bringing unemployment down to the lowest level since 1969, almost 11 million new jobs added under this president, plus everything that we are going to continue to deliver. I mean, this is a president that actually delivered on infrastructure, right? We're building roads and bridges and taking lead out of water pipes across the country. We are reducing the cost of prescription drugs. We have seen already the capping of insulin at $35, a hope that that gives people across the country. You know, investing in clean energy. And that's going to continue, by the way, through this year. Americans are going to start being able to claim those tax credits for, you know, their electric vehicles, for their appliances in their homes. So all of that is positive, And I think he should continue to focus on that as well as laying out the vision for 2024. Although, I mean, the president, for, for regardless of everything that the congresswoman just said, he's still underwater with his approval rating. Uh, and there's a new Washington Post ABC News poll out today saying that there's very little enthusiasm for a rematch of Trump versus Biden. But even so, uh, Trump leads uh, in the head to head. Yeah. So first of all, I want to correct something uh, about him not bringing up the balloon. I think he's going to come into the chamber in a balloon, <laughs> uh, sort of Wizard of Oz style. It's going to be awesome. But no, uh, look, I mean, the the. All the, all the buzz is that this is basically going to be the kickoff of his re-election campaign. And I think he's got a real challenge. On the one hand, he got elected promising normalcy, unity, bipartisanship, all those kinds of themes. On the other hand, he often can't help himself from going hard at ultra-mega, super-Republicans and all that kind of stuff. And that's a balance he's going to have to strike um, in the State of the Union address. But look, I mean, these job numbers are fantastic for him politically. I don't think there's any getting around that. And uh, State of the Union address always benefits a president. You know, he always, though, does a great job of, uh, I think, when he talks about ultra MAGA, that is the fracture in the Republican Party. There are many in the Republican Party who actually agree. And so that tactic is more about moderate Republicans and independents. And I, I want to, you know, what the Congresswoman said is so important because there's internal polling that also shows, and this is, I'm just leading ahead to why this is important for 2024. Republicans tend to do better on who do you trust on the economy. One of the things we're seeing is that the more People learn and understand these economic numbers. They trust Democrats more. They trust Joe Biden more. So it is absolutely he should tout that economic record and continue to do so because it does matter. I think we're also going to hear him talk a little bit about some of the the caring economy. We know after COVID that we need child care. We Mm -hmm. need elder care, disability care. Um, That infrastructure uh, is not where it should be. And I hope he talks about public safety in a way that brings us all into everybody in this country deserves to feel the safe. She's, got, she's already got the, the talking points for Tuesday, so that's great. <laughs> well, that was, I just, that's, the I Arkansas Governor uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders that, will be giving that, the Republican that, response. Uh, what do you think she should say? Look, Sarah's a good friend. She's going to do a great job. She's a great, she's a, she's a great messenger. I think she's going to talk about the things that aren't going so great in America, right? We've got a crisis at the border. Fentanyl continues to stream across the border. Americans don't feel so great about inflation. And, and right track, wrong track continues to be, as you point out, the president's underwater, right track, wrong track, still in the wrong direction. So if all these numbers are so great, why don't Americans feel great? 
Well, that's the issue. Why don't they feel well, better one, about their women lives? Women would like their reproductive freedom back. I don't and know. and okay. by the way, the good talking. Your fentanyl crisis has nothing to do with immigrants. I mean, ninety-six no, percent no, no, of fentanyl is seized at ports of entry, okay. and over ninety percent. Is brought in but there is by a crisis, U.S. Correct? citizens. But there is a crisis. So it crack has hog? nothing to do but, but there's with there's a crisis, crack What we need to do is reform the immigration system. I say this as the new ranking of okay. the immigration subcommittees. So so we're gonna, but we'll there's a crisis or not? I, I will say there is a crisis. Okay, great. Okay, so that's respond. That's the end of that. Uh, coming up next, more on the State of the Union. We'll be right back. President Biden is at Camp David this weekend working on his State of the Union address, and you can watch that address right here on CNN Tuesday evening. Our special coverage begins at 8 p.m. Eastern. I will see you tomorrow on The Lead. Fareed Zakaria GPS starts next. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.